today on an all-new episode of the Enneagram Journey. But when I really found out that I was a one, I came to the realization that what I thought was helping and fixing and, you know, my discernment, and I'm going to let you know all the things that are you're doing wrong and how you could do them better. I am out here for you. You don't know what it's like to be me out here for you. It is an up at dawn, pride swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about, okay? God, help me. Help me, Rod. Help me. Help you. I recognize that and I appreciate that. Great. So when I jump mm. your bones at the door, you'll be ready. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Kenny says that's not what it means. What? Grow up, Kenny, would you? Okay, it's my turn. Um, I am so sorry for everything that I did and said that was offensive to you. The truth is, I was just lost. You know, my son came home with this beautiful, amazing woman, and I didn't know anything about her world. I mean, I thought I did. And I was just so excited to have a new and different culture in our family. And I just hope that you accept my apology because I do apologize on behalf of all white people, except for the racist ones, the actual racist ones. And on behalf of all Jewish people, except for Aunt Mitzi, because she's she's actually racist. She's a horrible human being. But really mostly on behalf of me, Shelley Cohen of Brentwood, California. I am so sorry, Amira, because I love you. I see you as the real, powerful, individual person that you are. If you're listening right now, then you are also a real and powerful individual. And you're also tuned in to the Enneagram Journey podcast with your host, Suzanne Stabile. Quick side note, if you haven't seen the movie You People, I think it's a must watch. And that's where that clip came from. My name is Joel. Today's guest is the great Darnell Young, Enneagram One. This is the first episode in a series of episodes that we'll be putting out throughout the year, featuring three members of the 2024 LTM Enneagram cohort. Darnell lives in New York, is a director of occupational therapy, studying to be a life coach and pursuing her PhD in psychology with an emphasis on performance. In the upcoming episodes, you'll also meet Matt and Alex from the cohort. Today, Darnell and Suzanne are going to talk about the critic and the difference between nuance and difference, or it could be the nuance between nuance and difference. I don't know. Uh, We'll find out. And we'll learn so much more. Speaking of cohorts, it isn't too late to sign up for the LTM Leading Change Cohort with the very good Reverend Dr. Andy Stoker. Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com or click the link in the show notes for the info and application. If you can't make a cohort happen this year but are looking for some community or a group to grow with, there are still a few spots available in the small groups that will begin in March, but I don't imagine they'll be available for very long. You can find that information on the website and a link in the show notes as well. Thank you all so much for listening and for supporting the podcast and life in the Trinity ministry. We hope you enjoy today's conversation with Darnell and Suzanne. Be careful what you ask for. 
I, I, I have a funny moment for you. I, I went to that conference, waited with bated breath for two years because COVID delayed us. I went to the conference. I raved about it when I came home to my family. I said, I'm going to apply for this cohort. Meanwhile, I applied. And then right after that, my aunt decided to move to Texas. Surprised the whole family. You know, it was bittersweet. But how my uncle retired and decided to move to Texas. Then I got the notification that I got into the Enneagram cohort. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got in. And guess how far away from her house you are? How far? Thir- 13 minutes. <laughs> 13 minutes. And my aunt wants me to thank you for having me have four excuses to come visit her in Texas this year because she misses me so much. And she's like, now you have to come at least four times. And I was like, I'll be there. I'll be there. Count me in. So it, it was meant to be. I, I can't even believe how much it was meant to be. Yeah. Well, you I'm tell thankful. her that there are two sides to that. And the other side is that I'm glad that you're coming to see her, but I am going to need her to start hanging out with us at the Mike Center and come see me. Mm-hmm. Listen, which, well, she's, you probably might see her because my aunt is very conscientious. She said her and her uncle are going to drive by so they can see where I'm going before I come. <laughs> she's my mom's, she's my mom's sister who my mom passed away 13 years ago. And she feels very much charged to take care of me after that because I'm my only child. So she's driving past and they're seeing how far it is from the house and they're going to give me the car. So I know where to go and all of that kind of stuff. So we look, I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. I, I can't even like express how excited I am that not only got picked, but then I got an email from Joe. I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't even believe it. And I was sick last week. I feel much better now, but I was sick last week. So when I saw that, that email was two days old. I almost had a, a mini heart attack, okay? Because <laughs> I said, oh my God, I didn't answer this for two days. I said, I hope I hope that it's still a chance. And Joel, you were so nice. He was like, of course, correct. But yeah, I was you... looking at my email for 50, every 15 minutes since Friday <laughs> to make sure. <laughs> well, you might be surprised to find out how uh, if a me- if an email goes by for two days, you got days and days to go before we think. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on slow, low time. I like for that to be reciprocated also for anyone listening. That, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Amen. <laughs> no, I was. I was hoping that they were. But I, I am honored, too, that you remember me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know if you remember. I remember you and uh, was it like four other friends? Yeah, we- it was the whole group of us. And two of us applied for cohorts, but two different ones. I did the Enneagram and my um, another friend did the family cohort. Family and she in? got in. Okay. Yeah. And she family systems and she got in too. But they're at different times. So yeah. we'll yeah. be down different. Yeah. No. Yeah. Very excited. He edits me well. But there was one point when we were in Lancaster where Joel came to me and said, Mom. I know that this little group right here is great, but you have to talk to the whole audience. Because <laughs> I wasn't talking to anybody but y'all. I was having such a good time with y'all. I just kind of forgot other people were there. 
Listen, we were so giddy and so glad to be there because we were the holdouts. I remember, I even remember the email because um, we had planned to go there. And humbly, I latched on to this group because there's not many people in my community that know the Enneagram, understand the Enneagram, or care to know too much more deeper than their own level of awareness. You know, um, there's very spiritual, very, you know, Christian, I have a strong Christian community, but no one knows the Enneagram. So this group I latched on because they know the Enneagram. And one of them was a pastor's um, wife. And another one is um, a coworker who, one of the people who introduced me to the Enneagram. So we were all in, and then we got the email that it was canceled. We were devastated. But then we, I remember um, reading, um, you can have your money back, but if you want to hold out, we were like, oh, we're holding out. Like, <laughs> we're not, <laughs> we're holding out. We're keeping these tickets. And we just kept praying that you wouldn't change your mind and say, you know, like, oh, you have so many dates that you had, for some reason, you were not going to do it. So, but no, that's why we were very much giddy, glad to be there. Because I, this hadn't, I don't know of another workshop or teaching event that has been like this. That Wow, really? That that it got kicked down for two years. I got, oh yeah, kept that, was, rescheduled. that was a hold down. Because it was, because I committed. feel like first there was one reschedule because of like a, maybe a conflict or a weather thing or something. And then it was COVID, I think. So mm-hmm. it was all of 2020 and 2021. <laughs> and so, and then getting to finally go. And I remember some people hadn't gotten the emails. I remember the church saying that when we got there. Oh so they're like, gosh. yeah, that they would have just people show up randomly on the weekend for the Anagram workshop. Oh, and no. Yeah. That was, no. that was such a fun one. It is our hope and desire to have more of an opportunity to introduce the Enneagram to your community. Yeah. So, and when, when you say community, I'm going to assume, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that you mean the black community. Yes. And I, and I'm just going to say, it doesn't go unnoticed. Like it's been a wonder of mine that, you know, I like when I got introduced to the Enneagram, I thought I was like the last one, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, you know how something like someone introduces something you're like, I literally never heard of that. So maybe I'm the last one to know. So I was crowdsourcing and everybody was just like, what? Like, no. And then, you know, I had a little bit of the pentagram conversation when you showed Mm -hmm. the, (laughs) and you know, we had, I had that conversation, but no one knew. And then I was really sure, because like I said, I'm a Christian and very involved in my church. We praise dance. My husband's a deacon. You know, we're very close to our pastor. Um, and I just knew when I said it to people, it was going to be something like a thing because it's from a ministry. Because that's what was, that was a double, like, aha for me because I, like, lifelong, I love psychology, I love behavior, and I love the motivation behind behavior. Right. Like, if you would have t- spoke to me at, 18, 25, 35, I would have said the same thing to you. So when I got introduced to the Enneagram, it was literally like an aha moment. Like, this is what I've been speaking of all my life, but now they labeled it in nice, neat labels and the reasoning behind it. I always met people and I was always the one in my friend group to say, 
this is why this person is doing this. This is why this person is doing that. This is this type of person. This is that type of person. And always thought that everybody was beyond introvert and extrovert, you know, like, or, or narcissistic. I was like, there's more to it. There's nuances. And I would always say that. But when I met, when I got to the Enneagram, got introduced, I was like, this is it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So I thought that when, then when I found out that you were like spiritually based, like you were a ministry and you were Christians, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like two two married of two of my worlds that I love that is coming that was even deeper so I was even more committed to it and then I found out my number and then I you know I had to take a pause and it's so funny how you hear everybody because I know I'm a one everybody has the same experience as one that's uncanny and I guess that's probably like evidence right how consistent the Enneagram could be yeah. Because when I tell you, it's the same exact experience yeah. where I was like, oh, ouch, a little bit like, isn't he? And then I but really quickly, I, I really came. I was like, it is like I knew it was me. I'm a one through and through. Yeah. Every paragraph, every not every other word, every word was just dead on. So it's amazing. I said, it is. It is. It really is. Like, that's one of the reasons why this cohort was um, appealing to me, because I was like, you know what, maybe if I know more, like I am more confident in what I know, that I can introduce it to the different worlds that I'm in. And I'm going to tell you, I, I don't have a solid plan, which probably... If I tell now, after I tell you the plan, it's going to sound like I have it all, all figured out, but I don't really have it all figured out. But in all my worlds, I plan on utilizing the Enneagram in some way because I'm using it now, like every in my own way of how I, I look at myself and how I look at other people. Um, I do type people who because I have no choice because no one is really, I, can, I can't always convince people to like, <laughs> I've given out free books. I have given, I have screenshot blurbs of like each numbers and tell people to read it. It's, it's been a little bit of a challenge to get buy-in or, well, I would say people are very generous. My family's very supportive. So they're reading it, but you know, it's not a one and done. If it was, if the Enneagram was like, you know, some of the other psychology tests where, you take the test, you get what you are, and then you that's who you are. It's the reflection piece that's a little bit difficult for people. But, well, you know already. I'm very mm-hmm. charming. You ve- you very much are. Very charming, very humble. Humble, I'm you very are. humble. And I'm charming and I'm old. Listen, and I get away with a lot because I'm old. Listen. I say lean into all strengths. For Suzanne and myself today, uh, mm-hmm. podcast recording number three of a series that we're very excited about. Um, Darnell mm-hmm. is Anagram One from New York, as she's already talked about some. And uh, we spoke with two other members of this 2024 Anagram cohort and mm-hmm. just kind of getting to know a little bit about y'all and where you're at. And then the... Uh, 
idea is originally was to record these three before meeting number one and then record again, um, follow up podcast after meeting number four because of how great okay. these have been. Now we were like, and hey, let's go ahead and just uh, put in a middle of the way recording if everyone's on board with it after meeting number two, just because I think that people, after they hear the conversation waiting, maybe this is just me projecting. I got to wait 11 months to hear, you know, an update on, yeah. on where they're at. That's the series. Um, the other, so you're one, uh, tell us a little bit about what that means. The other two, uh, Alex and Matt are both eights, uh, from different oh. parts of the world. And so, yeah, and you'll get, you all get to meet each other in about a week and a half, but, uh, we get to spend, we're so blessed to get our spend time with you right now. Well, I feel blessed as well. I, I, I really do. Um, especially after reading the books, listening to the podcast, going to the conference. Um, the fact that I have this opportunity just to, to meet you all and speak one-to-one and talk about my oneness and my, my Enneagram journey, no pun intended. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm a one. And like I was saying before, how I know me being a one and finding out I'm a one. Like I said, a friend just introduced me to the Instagram, said this was great because she knew my personality and knew that I would love it. And I did love it. Um, then I realized, you know, after looking transparency that I was a one, like through and through, even before the test, to the test confirmed it. Um, but I will say like knowing, and I say this to everyone, knowing that I'm a one has just changed how I show up in spaces. Like, it, it gave me an aha moment to how I was acting and reacting. Um, but game changer, just like everyone, that knowing what that inner voice was, that it wasn't thinking because I thought it was thinking all the time. Um, I thought it was what drove me and propelled me. I, I tend to be a very motivated person. And I used to always say to people, I'm not. A, I'm never in competition with other people. I'm in competition with myself. I used to, I always say that, like, I said, I'm always one. I always want to be better than I was yesterday. I always had a planner since like grade school. I, I and I saved them. I have like a stack of them. Every year, I always had goals, but it was never in January because I went to school from three to twenty six, and then I started working for the school system. So September is my beginning of the year ingrained in me. January is just a refresher, <laughs> you know, like a little break <laughs> in the middle of the year. But um, so sub- every September, it was always, what am I going to do for the year? What's my goal? What's my intention? You know, I, I started out with goals. And then now I started metamorphing into words of the year. <laughs> it ha- always have a word. And now I started doing, incorporating my friends. We'll do, like last year, I, I introduced them 23 and 23. Now we're up to 24 and 24. And it's just 24 things that you will want to accomplish throughout the year. No judgment at the end of the year, whether you accomplished it or not, but just to bring more awareness to people about their goals and how they're showing up and how they're pursuing them. And that's it. And But that inner voice, that inner voice is was really tricky for me because it, it was like, just how you said it, it was like disappointing that okay it is a thing and it's not going to go away like mm-hmm. you know in the enneagram you could be healthy you could be average right and you could be in stress and you could be aware of where you are and you kind of can use strategies to get yourself in different places 
in that, I, when I was reading more about it, like, oh, this is the voice, I was kind of looking for the, and this is how you get rid of the voice, right? And right. there was no, there was nothing. I was like, the page turned, the book is over. There's no, how do you get rid of it? But I guess I, I come to terms with knowing what it is. I was listening to the, a podcast that you did with a guy with a one, and he thought that um, the voice was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's very, that's yeah, and, so much more common than you would think. Yeah, it's well, very disturbing. It, it is because I wouldn't say I thought it was the Holy Spirit, but I do, like, I do feel I have the gift of discernment. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very discerning in about people and situations. And that's what I thought it was. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have labeled it Holy Spirit per se, like, think of it in that term, even though that's what discernment is. But I just said, oh, that's my discernment. So that's why I was listening to it, right? Because if your discernment is telling you what to do, what you're doing, and you're listening to it, sure. you, yeah, but it's not great when it's not, it's critiquing you. Yeah. Yeah, it's critiquing you. I believe that it's my job to say that uh, the critic is not your friend. Mm -mm. And I think it's my job to say that Whatever you've accomplished, you would have done without the critic. You know, a lot of people, a lot of ones hang on to that voice of the critic because they think the reason they got an A is because they listened to the critic. The reason they got a raise Mm -hmm. is because they listened to the critic. And Mm -hmm. my contention is you would have gotten those things without the critic. Well, that's, that's really powerful. That really is because the critic does give you a sense of that it helps you like if I was to speak for me, I felt like the critic helped me discern where to go, right? What to do more. Cause it was helping me dis- dissect what I did good, what I could have done better. And that's why I always said, I am, I'm always focused on what I could have did time. You could have done that earlier. If you did it earlier, you would have completed more. Like if your goal would have been accomplished by this date. If you didn't take that break or it was, it's just constant. So it's not so much like it was like, it's not negative. Like it's not, I didn't, it didn't really attack my esteem so much, but of course it was impacted, but it was more of, you could have done that better, do better tomorrow. Yeah. always. You, you have to do better. You have to be better. You could do that better. And the reason why I guess too, I was really thinking about it, about being motivated to get it out more into the black community is because not just in general, everyone should know themselves, but even now with trauma-informed care and trauma-informed education, you know, the Black community not necessarily pivoting to mental health, even though it is getting better because we're speaking louder about it. But, you know, everyone knows mental health um, starts with you knowing yourself, right? And what's good about yourself and accepting the things about yourself. Um, So, if you know the Enneagram, you'll know that more. But I was always curious about that critic. Is it different for someone who's in who's black? Because right. I always had that underlined, right? I need to be better than the people in the room that don't look like me, right? Because right. I, I, they yeah. have other biases and expectations of me. That's not aligned with my ability right Right. so I have to show them my ability I have to show up twice as better and that's a real thing in the black community and 
it's a real thing where there's a lot of black people, and especially because I'm a woman, I'm going to focus on women of color, that when you're the only one in leadership in higher spaces, it's hard. You, you're in the that's in you to show up in that way. And it doesn't mean that everyone in your environment is treating you with bias, but you are kind of geared to show up in that way because you have encountered that so much in your life. So then you get to a black woman who's a one with this critic mm-hmm. <laughs> that's telling you, you need to do better and be better. And then culturally you're being taught, right? You have to show up that way. How do those two how do you counteract those two? Mm-hmm. And that's why I really want to know more about the Enneagram. I'm seeking to know that better so I can have kind of process some answers around that. Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier about how much I would love to uh, have a chance to teach in your church community. And the thing that I would say is that I would change that sentence now and say that I would love to have the opportunity to learn and teach in your church community because I'm clear that the Enneagram applies differently to you as a black woman than it does to me as a white woman. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, Joe and I started a program. The United Methodist Church has essentially split in the last year or two. We've been working toward that and that has occurred. And we pulled together four groups, four churches in a pilot group so that we Mm -hmm. could kind of look at, okay, what do we do now? And what does Life in the Trinity Ministry have to offer you now that you've lost part of your membership or the people who left were the people who gave the money or all those things. Right. And one of the four churches is a black church. And uh, we've been friends with that church for a long time. Joe, for 12 years, was pastor of Dallas's oldest deeded and dedicated Christian church, which is white. But his friend was the pastor of Dallas's oldest deeded and dedicated black church. And so we've been friends with that church for a long time and we still are. And all of that is just background for me to say this because it requires background. In working with this group, there's a, there are five people and a pastor from each of the four churches that we're working with. And uh, one of the people in the group who is um, a wisdom person and a black man who I've been really leaning into and learning from along with everybody else while we've been doing this. And he was late and that doesn't fit him. He he had never been late and I, I was concerned and he got there and he's not 73, which I am, but he's, he, he's not young either. He's been around for a while. I said at the break, are you okay? I was so concerned because you were late. And he said, uh, yeah, I got pulled over. I'm still getting pulled over as a black man. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, uh, like, I don't like that. And then I got all whipped up. And then I was rah-rah to Joe about it a lot. And then I talked to this gentleman again, and I said, what would help? And he said, if... uh." the police knew the Enneagram because it makes space for difference in behavior that has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now I'm working on that too. (laughs) 
Now I want to teach. No. I want to teach everybody. <laughs> Listen, I, I have the same desire. I, I really do. And I I think that's what if someone was asking me, I would I would think that it was it would be the foundation. Everyone needs to to know it, right? To hear it. I wish it would be common language, right? Like, you know, just like how people say I'm an extrovert, I'm an introvert, right. I'm an ambient Like I want I would, would hope that the Enneagram become could become common language. And then you could superimpose the cultural differences. Sure. On top of that, because then we could get into those nuances. Yeah. You know, and, and have those bigger conversations that the door has been, you know, swung open again with George Floyd, right? Like everybody went to sleep and I think everybody's woke up and there's a lot of diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, businesses, everybody's speaking about it. Um, we're, we're attending to it in the workplace down to students and kids. But, you know, people, that's where I, I feel like trauma-informed care is is getting more, you know, more input in, even though it's been around, you know, but people are, are noticing it more. But we have to have those conversations because that's what it is. It's knowing people. When they say you have to understand people's differences, what do we say next to that? You need to go out and learn about people's differences. And now they're even saying, you know, for the white community to take it upon yourselves to learn and get yourself educated about people's differences. And even when when people who are not of color, they learn those differences, yep. you still need to know yourself and how you show up right. concerning those differences, which gets us back to the Enneagram again, you know? So if you just have, if we have the foundation of knowing yourself, when you have those difficult conversations, it might be more palatable when you already know who you are and why you acted that way, right? Because the Enneagram makes you go, what is my childhood voice telling me? Right. Right. And you, if you go, what's your childhood voice? If there's bias in your background, that's going to come up, right? So when you have these difficult conversations and you're pondering why I am not around people who don't look like me, how do I interact with people who don't look like me? How do, how do I make effort to get to know other communities? Mm-hmm. Then you have that foundation, right? That sound foundation of knowing who you are. And maybe people won't feel so threatened in having exactly. that conversation. Exactly. When you walk in the Micah Center for the cohort next week, mm-hmm. it, it is obvious that you are a woman of color, but that will not be what people are most interested in. The question people will ask is, what's your Enneagram number? Well, yeah, definitely. That, that's and that's that. when and it I've all starts. Yeah. yeah, it all starts and there. And when it all starts there, then there's an opportunity to talk about nuance. Mm-hmm. But it's nuance that isn't necessarily difference. It's just nuance. Yeah, well, it's it's nuance of people's experience. That's exactly because- right. Uh, a black one, an Asian one, a Hispanic yep. one, and a white one still has the same motivations right. behind it. That that's that's a given, and that's the beauty of the enneagram, right? Absolutely. That's why that to me that's confirmation and it's spiritual because it's of God because God is in all of us. So and He's given us the same affliction or stress, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. He's, he's yeah. 
inflation or strength across the same number, right? So I, I think it's, I, I just think that it's really a tool that is just ingenious in how it's set up. And when you have those nuances and it brings to this point, we're talking about bringing people together. What can bring people together more than someone having the same motivation as you, right? And then you're talking about how that shows up for you. Because yes, well, we might be all still ones, but that critic might show up the same. But then the new, then we could get up, get into the nuances of, and that's when you get into the different backgrounds and the different right. cultures. Right. And, yeah. and what a lovely way in for us to have multicultural conversation and conversations about diversity. And with it, it's almost like if we can't find common ground, then how how do we move things over so there is room for nuance? Yeah. And, and the Enneagram offers us not only common ground, but a common understanding of how somebody else is looking at the world. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think it is so lovely that regardless of culture, regardless of um, so many things, regardless of education, regardless of all the things, ones are still ones and that sevens are still sevens and, 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 and. So I think it's mystical. I've always thought the Enneagram is mystical. I still do. Mm -hmm. I think too. it's lovely that we don't quite know where it came from. You yeah. know, because then we could argue things about that that are not available to us because we don't quite know. Mm -hmm. And my response to people who push back about the Enneagram is, you know, what, maybe it's not for you. That's okay. I don't, I don't need you to love the Enneagram. I would love it if yeah. you're exposed to it and then don't love it. I want to talk about the fact that you are um, and have worked as a director of occupational therapy. Because yeah. my guess is that the Enneagram is very helpful. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I I have incorporated um, the Enneagram knowingly and unknowingly to others in mm -hmm. my life um, a lot from my work, from my family, my marriage, my church when I'm on ministry, and my friendships, um, and definitely my job, dealing with... Um, I'm the director. I have um, 23 super, I have three managers. And then those managers, I support three managers. They, under them is 23 supervisors. Mm -hmm. And under them, there's about 20, almost 2,500 OT providers. So it's the largest, yeah, it's, it's the largest department in the nation for it. And now that being at large, I don't touch every single provider every day, but the right. programs that I manage and um, support, I definitely have them in mind and how I support them and how they support students with different abilities. I definitely keep that in mind of diversity, understanding the background, understanding people's response and motivations. Yeah. And we deal a lot in behavior and behavior of students and supporting students and understanding that behavior is communication and how they show up and helping them regulate whether they have a diagnosis or they have just experienced trauma 
which is mostly most of the population after Mm -hmm. that. But I definitely have that motivation of behavior in mind when I interact with my team Mm -hmm. and chart, you know, we break up into little groups and different groups are supporting. I look at them and say like, what is this person? What would fit this person? What initiative would be better for them? How can I show up to serve them and support them? So I definitely think of it with myself and how I'm showing up as a one and the perceived numbers that I assume, I have to say, I assume they are because I have not formally done an interview with my team. Uh, One Mm -hmm. of the things that I think is real important is that I teach in two of Baylor's hospitals here in the Dallas area. And Mm -hmm. I've had opportunity at times to work with uh, physical therapists. And once they learned the Enneagram and once I gave them a little bit to work with to just have a, a maybe this person is this Enneagram type, mm-hmm. it changed how they could motivate them to do the hard work of physical therapy so that they could be whole again. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think that would be true too for occupational therapy. Oh, totally. Because if we can't motivate people, then they're not, they don't know how necessarily to motivate themselves from point A to point B. Totally. And that's, that's literally what we as therapists do when we um, interact with a client or a student is get to know the person, right? Because with the OT, we work with people's strengths. It's a strength-based approach that we use. And in order to see someone's strengths, you have to get to know them. Yep. So if you know the Enneagram number, you can get to know them through the lens that they view the world and you could support them where they're at. If I was in a bad accident and I had to do all the stuff that has to do with physical therapy, if they sent me a physical therapist who didn't care to hear about my family, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, uh, then I'm, you can't motivate me if you don't want to mm-hmm. talk to me about those things. Exactly. But other numbers, if you want to talk about those things, you can't motivate them because mm-hmm. they don't want to talk to you about that. And I, 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 the thing that I find so lovely about Enneagram wisdom is that I can't find a place where it doesn't have a purpose. It's so true. I, I, I'm in total agreement with that. Total agreement with that because it's of the business of getting to know other people, right? Yep. And if you if you're a Christian, you believe you're in this life for service, right? Right, right? And God gives us gifts to be about that business of service. And to be of service to people, you have to know who they are. You can't Absolutely. serve service is not about how you would approach something. It's about serving the person of what's meaningful to them. That's so it. there it goes. The Enneagram is just it is it. And I you know, sometimes I, I worry, I, I don't want to sound cultish or like people think that when you love something too much, there must be, you know, there must be something wrong, but it's not. It's it's just, I think it's an all-encompassing way to really get to know a person because it's not rigid yeah. and it's not in one direction. Yeah. So, and I think when people get to know what it is and really have someone to kind of talk and process with it mm-hmm. concerning it, then I think they would love it more. Yeah. Definitely. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Joel, what you got? 
the word that is keeps popping in my head that's just so important is context. Just context, context, mm-hmm. context. And um, in our the conversation before this one, you know, Matt was talking about how he realized that as an eight, he can't he can't go it alone. Um, I know one of the things that he he said that he uh, can't stand the term the phrase uh, self made. What was it? Self made man. The self made man. It's like no one's self made. Like no one's self made billionaire. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to have help. Relationships are so key. Like you just have to. Uh, and he talked about how hard that is for him as an eight. And that's definitely hard for me as a seven, you know, relying on other people. You know, Suzanne asked about the importance of a tool such as the Anagram in physical therapy. I think it goes both ways. It's when we have the context, just more, however much we can get in the mm-hmm. situation. So if if I am a patient, I wouldn't mind knowing what my Anagram, what Anagram number the doctor is. Like here's, I'm Absolutely. a seven. I'm a seven. And also what are you? And that way I've got more information uh, to make better decisions in our relationship. Not just not quick judgments, but, but kind of quick judgments. Yeah. You can get a quick baseline of where a perspective that someone's coming from. Saves a lot of time. Saves a lot of time. I was working with someone recently to set up for us to, for LTM and for Suzanne and Joe to come uh, to their city to teach for a weekend. And the, uh, I knew their Enneagram number, aggressive number, and she knew mine. If you don't know that the emails were quick and to the point, I mean, what my email was, how are you? Hope you're warm. I know you said you hated this weather. And what about these dates? And her reply was, it's cold here. I'm not well. And we're pumped to see you in September. And like, that was it. And it's like, this really worked for me. And however, mm-hmm. if you're looking for something else, like, why didn't they tell me more about their day or ask how my kids are, or mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, then it can be frustrating, but it's so much more freeing when you have that space to give people room to just be whoever they are without me exactly. making a quick judgment. Yep. Yep. And without over, you know, I overburden people. Joel taught has taught me is teaching me with my personality by using my way of seeing the world to try to make them feel good about themselves. So the best example is we were somewhere in a restaurant and I mean, they were slammed and our server was doing such a great job dealing with a restaurant where everybody was slammed. Mm -hmm. And I kept complimenting her every time she came to our table and telling her how cute she was. And I thought her earrings were darling. And I, she was handling everybody so well. And finally, I suppose after two or three rounds of that, Joel looked at me and he said, mom, she doesn't have time to do that with you. So if you want to compliment her, do it with your tip and let her get about the business because she's got all these tables. Well, if Joel hadn't started teaching me that, I don't know that. I believe that I'm loving somebody well if I'm not really thinking and treating them like I want to be treated instead of like they right. Are, right. Right. When you said uh, uh, overburdening other people to make, to help make them feel better, uh, which, which is to help make you feel better. Right. And right. we all do it. So for me as a seven, uh, you know, the burden I put on other people when I, when I show up in low health, which is what that, 
That's it. Which is the way to describe them. You can call me unhealthy at times. I'm good. You know, so, you know, so then when I'm making jokes, when I'm uncomfortable to make myself feel better or to make Mm -hmm. myself feel more comfortable at a time that, that is, that it's a burden for other people to, for me to Mm -hmm. be light art and making jokes. Now I'm burdening everybody else with trying to make myself feel more comfortable. Yeah. And no, definitely. How do you do that, Darnell? Oh, I, I have a <laughs> How do you burden everyone else? I, yes. How how do you? So, how do I burden? Well, let me, I, I'm going to tell you what I do. And then like this aha moment that I had recently. So when I was known to one, it's always great to have someone who's really interested in And a close friend. She's a seven, actually. So I'm, Joel, I am very familiar with sevens. Because in our dynamic, we definitely tell, like, that's, just, we, we have a relationship where we, very bluntly tell each other we're in our number and we're doing something concerning our number. And me as a one, I, I am a perfectionist, like, but it's not, I know I'm reframing. I'm trying to back up, but I do have things. I like things a certain way. And, um, one, one funny thing is I come in, in our office and I will push in all the chairs, like just push in the chairs in a day, push them in the back. And my friend was behind me one day. I was walking down a hall and we have three garbage cans in the hallway. And I literally, without even breaking stride, kicked my foot to straighten up the the garbage cans. <laughs> and she yells behind me. I saw that. I saw that. And I looked like it was just such knee jerk. She was like, you can't even help yourself. But when I really found out that I was a one, I came to the realization that what I thought was helping and fixing and you know my discernment and I'm going to let you know all the things that are you're doing wrong and how you could do them better and I am coming from a perspective where I thought it was I'm being of service like you're my friend I'm going to point this out to you and then I'm going to tell you how you could do this better and fix it and I, I was feeling empowered that I was just being so honest and transparent with my friend and pointing this out. And it didn't occur, I'm going to be honest with you, like really when I started getting to the Enneagram, I started really having an awareness of how that looked to people. And it looked like I was being critical. People were thinking that I was criticizing them. And I was like, no, I'm not criticizing you. I'm, I'm helping you. Like I'm trying to help me. And I was really coming from a pure, intentional, helpful place. But they were not, it really made me realize like they were not receiving it in that way. I just looked like I was being judgmental yeah. of them. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was gobsmacked because that's not my character. Like that, that was not even my intent. But I really did have to take a step back and see how that was affecting people because I was trying to be a fixer for them, Right. So what resonated with me with this phrase where people will, your friend will come to you and vent and you, you pause and you say, do you want me just to listen or Uh you want me Uh to, to give you a strategy? I started implementing that, right? Because I was, I was a hundred miles an hour. You come with a problem. I have A, B, and C, pick one. And if you pick either one of those, I have the first step that you're supposed to take. And then what you're going to take. So even if you picked any one of those, I still had a one, two, three that you can go. And I was going to put in a nice neat package for you 
and help you and fix your life. And that's not always what people want. And I recently, it got any even deeper for me because I'm going for my certification to be a life coach. And going into being a life coach, I, of course, I love psychology, but I was like, you know what, this is a niche that I think I like. I kind of thought that you would be a kind of a fixer for people, right? And then as I'm going through the training, it's totally not about that. Right. It's about holding space, being curious, and holding space for someone to tell their experience. And you are just being curious in your questioning to guide them towards their goals. So you are leading them, they're walking with them into a dark room, leading them to the light, but only they turn on the light when they want to. And that's been so illuminating for me and even like a practice of growth that I'm I'm really enjoying. I'm actually enjoying it because it, it relieved me of my oneness that I had to, I realized I felt I have to fix no, right. just sit back, sit back and hold space with someone. And I'm, I'm enjoying growing that muscle I, and I'm thankful for it because you would think it would be a little bit painful, but it's really not. I'm enjoying realizing that about myself, that I don't have to be that for everyone all the time. And that's probably why sometimes life got exhausting. Do you think mom, uh, that a lot of the stuff that she shared right there is dependent stance stuff? One's two yeah. sixes. Uh, two things that made me or that triggered that question for me. One, um, when I've heard Suzanne talk about being a Stephen minister and how she thought mm-hmm. she would just crush it. And then it turns out she's terrible at being a Stephen minister because she was like, Hey, I know how to fix this space that you're in. Let's, let's just fix it. And she's like, that's not what Stephen ministry is. <laughs> and then I was it's thinking about being with you, right? Well, I, why be with you with this question when I know the answer? Uh, and that's not helpful, as it turns out. It's not helpful. And I was thinking when when you were talking, I was like, the number of times I've said to Whitney, my one, Suzanne, the closest two in my life, and then I've got relationships with a couple of sixes, the number of times I've been like, I've, I have not asked for your help. H- haven't asked. Don't want it. This is exhausting. You know, sometimes I just let it play out. But I also know, on the other hand, I'll just – personalize it and say me but it's society then we do take advantage of y'all when y'all do it and it is helpful and we do want it that's right sure we all do that and that's like we take advantage of you when we want uh you to liven things up a little bit and make the party a little better or add a little joy and darnell we take uh i'm telling you if if i have to have brain surgery i want a one to do it Right? No, you're right. You're right. And what if people got to do the the thing that they're so great at that encompasses their personality, which based on what you're saying you're learning, I think you're doing. I think you are set up to recognize how you affect people by moving the trash cans and handling the chairs and doing the things. But I want you to circle back to that because I wanted to ask you, you've recognized that that's not helpful. Have you recognized mm-hmm. that when your voice does that stuff with you, that that's not helpful? Oh, definitely. I, I've been, I'm, I've been knee deep hands and feet in self-discovery and awareness and, and, and stuff where like I, my, my critic is named, 
I talk to my critic and give it a mental, give give her a mental slap at the beginning <laughs> of the day. <laughs> I say, not today. Not, not today, today, honey, not today. No. And I really, as a one, I utilize this. Um, like, I really remind myself when I really have a bad day, I, I get into this space of what if there's not, I, I don't know where I heard this, but probably in my many books, a self-help book podcast or whatever. Um, what if there was no barrier and success was the only outcome? Like no matter what you do, success will be the outcome. You know, so that's sometimes when I when I have like a project and I'm really getting stressed, that's how I just operate. Like success is the outcome. I'm just taking the steps. I just have to walk the steps to success because we always yeah. have to do something. So I definitely do that. And, you know, I'm mindful and transparent. I'm I'm more, I'm not an ambiguous person. So I'll say it out loud. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. Oh, so oh you got to stop. No, 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 <laughs> no. We're not, we're not rolling right by. I, I'm not an <laughs> ambiguous person. That is the, the loveliest way I've ever heard a one talk about I'm right and that's wrong. And I am not an ambiguous person. I love that no. so much. No, I'm not. I have to ta- I have to taper it. Like I've learned not because I, I I can be very blunt, very like this is what it is. But it's hard it, it, it's hard because it's not I guess sometimes it could come off like, yeah, I'm right. This is my perspective. Because at the same time, you're open to other people's perspective. And I don't think I roll over it. You know, like this is what, this is your perspective. This is where I think you should do it. But there is, I would say, I know I have a, a, a strong sense. This is, I definitely know. Strong sense of right or wrong. Like what I feel is right or wrong. Definitely that. Definitely that. I, you know, as a one, I've been on a couple of soapboxes where um, I can't believe this person would even think to do that. Why would someone do that to someone else? That's so wrong. Look how you're affecting the other person. So I, I'm definitely that person, you know, in it. And I even have to take myself down for it because, and I incorporate this let them theory, like, which has helped me. So I have my little strategies just to mm-hmm. tell you what the mm-hmm. word. But just letting them, like, just let them. Just let people be who they are. Mm-hmm. And that helps me with the knee-jerk reaction to fix them. And I laughed at what you said. Like, why would I sit here with the answer and not tell you? Right. Like, And that's literally what it is. That's a bullseye moment right there because that's what I feel. I know. I have this doctor... I'm the person, if someone says, listen, my allergies, oh yeah, allergies? I'm in my phone already. I'm I'm, I'm giving you the number to the doctor. I'm telling you where to go. If you need a specialist, I'm going to share it with you. I always say, I love to share information. That's what I used to say. I love, I think I might even wrote it in my application. <laughs> I love sharing Yes, you did. It's right here, actually. I got yeah. it. <laughs> you know, I love to share information. And Sometimes it, it's sharing, but there's a little bit of that it could be perceived of. I'm sharing this because this is the way to the do right, it. The only way. This the is only the right, only way to way. do it. Right. Have you exactly. heard me teach the four mantras? No. Oh, that's going to no. turn your life upside down. <laughs> so listen to what they are. Show up. 
mm-hmm. which ones are real good at pay attention, which ones mm-hmm. are really good at tell the truth. Ones are mostly good at that. Mm-hmm. And here's the ringer. Don't get attached to the results. That is a ringer. Yep. That's it. That That is, that's totally a ringer. I told you that's why in my journey, like in my life coaching journey, that's what it is. We're not attached to the outcome. Right. We're not attached to the goal of the client. Success. We're just right. there. Yeah. We're just there to guide them to whatever success or near it. Right. That they choose to do. But as a one, if I put it down on paper, it's happening. Yeah. Like that, that it, it might as well be in, chiseled into stone. It's going to happen, you know? And yeah, that, that's something that it, it's, it's one to grow on. And if it's, well, yeah, because like, it's like you're going to have my brand of success whether you want to or not. No, definitely. <laughs> definitely. It is. It is. And, and it's like sometimes it could put blinders on you of other people's success like you got to stand back and when I feel like I'm really in a healthy space I know it because I'm seeing I can actually see the different pathways that someone can get to something sure my husband has been a very good teacher of me concerning that because he's a yin to my yang a little bit where yeah he's very laid back it's probably why we're so meant for each other I, I believe and he's gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say I am gonna say this. I believe he's a nine. He's mm-hmm. not taking a test, but I totally believe he's a nine. And he's very much whatever whatever you want. And I always know what I want. So that works. That works very <laughs> very well with us. I know what I want and he's like wherever wherever you wanna eat, whatever you wanna do for tonight or whatever. And it, it, it works very well. But he definitely has very unique ways of doing things and they're always successful and like a funny story when I it, what it really came to when my kids were younger I have three daughters and when they were younger and he had to dress them now in their drawers of course every outfit was matched with a top and a bottom and the, you could just go in a drawer and get them and every time he was dressing them and meeting us somewhere he would always have a different top to a different bottom that I bought, but they would match. But I will always be so surprised how good it looked. I was like, oh, that that does yeah. look good. But meanwhile, I had it all stacked and he put his own combination yeah. together. But it was like a realization I had the kind con- well, you know what? It does work. It does work. But where I'm it's like, kind of like that's not what I picked there. out. That's not exactly. what I planned. But it turned out okay. Surprisingly. Always. Always. All right. What I have is a long question that (laughs) might not go anywhere. And it's like, it's several questions wrapped into one. So we'll see. And when I get done talking, you can be like, Hey, let's go on. Let's, let's keep it moving. Uh, or or y'all can answer the question. There's another wrench into it now. Cause you said you've got three daughters. So that adds Mm -hmm. to my question. One of my favorite conversations of all time around, that I just learned so much from, and I love her so much anyway, but it was with Christine Min, and she's a Enneagram 8. She's Korean. Hearing her talk about the importance of, like, what culture, her culture, and the role that's played in her life, and she talked mm-hmm. about being being a young female Korean Enneagram 8 
and how that kind of wasn't her gifts weren't appreciated really if mm-hmm. i remember that correctly yeah, i can understand and then we've got in here in the south women in church and churches we want them to be twos that's what the church kind of is like hey be a two this is and so then there's that over identification with that for people that aren't mm-hmm. twos you're an anagram one in your culture and in your community you talked about it a little bit earlier about how mm-hmm. you've got first of all your community has this um expectations and everything put on you now are your gifts as a one appreciated in your community or are there certain gifts that are or are not appreciated and then here's follow-up question next part to that the messages that you received as a young girl do you still receive those same messages from society and from the environment do you think your three daughters get the same messages that you received when you were their age. So like I said, a lot of questions, a lot of. No, no, definitely. Definitely. I can, I, I, I follow you. I definitely follow you. So I'll start with my, I'll start with my community. The, where I mentioned before, how being um, a black woman in the Enneagram one, an expectation, just in bias of, of like black people in general and, in the context of being in white spaces of an expectation, right? When I was younger, I'm I'm 50, 53. So when I was younger, there definitely was an expectation. Um, not so much the pressure, the, the pressure was from the outside, the people outside of my community. My community was very loving and loved me for who I was and things of that nature. That expectation of um, we have to be better and do better is the, was the preparation and going into the white spaces. And our community wants to prepare us, right? Just like how we prepare our black males for when they're being stopped by the cops. You prepare, you know, education-wise when you walk in a room, you know, you study hard, you you do your best and you show them how smart you are, right? Because the ex- we experienced and often knew that when we walked into these white spaces, we're going to be expected to be less intelligent, less capable. And then me, my own experience, I went to private school. My mom, where I lived, the public school um, wasn't as um, academically sound as my mother thought it should be. So she worked hard to put me in private school. Therefore, not many, there was not many black students in the private school. So I was in pretty much a white space from three to 26 because then I chose a medical profession where at the time there was not a lot of black people in there. So I was in this space for a very long time of a, achievement. I was achieving, right? But being, a, being that I was achieving, it put me in a space where I was in a space where I had to do extra to show how much I could achieve. So in my community, I it was it was all love and my community was celebrating, you know, my achievements. Um it wasn't so much pressure but um an expectation knowing that I would they already they backed my ability, put it that way. Mm-hmm. That extra pressure was walking into the white spaces and being the only one and having to to do it. And the pressure from society of now you're representing a whole race when you're the only one in the room, right? 
So those kind of pressures do get you in the mindset of I got to do better, you know, oh, let me be neater, you know, let me dress neater, let me show up um, better and dispel all those little biases, right? Like if, if I'm, if someone else was 10 minutes late, it's no problem, but I'm 10 minutes late for the same reason, then it's, it's because I'm black and but all black people are late. Like, so those kind of biases we live with every day, right? That being said, to your point about my three daughters, it did trickle onto them by proxy because that's the environment and instructions that I had. Then I was an achiever, right? So then they see an example of an achiever, which in a non-biased world would be great, right? Everybody sees their parent achieve, their parent, if they're achiever, they say, you're my child, right? So you have that same ability mm-hmm. and you get that confidence to achieve in that manner. But we have that outside thing of, but society expects you to achieve even more. So it's almost like the my baseline achievement was great in my community. You're doing great, you're going to school. But then when you get in these white spaces, you felt like you had to do an extra thing. And that was the extra pressure. And you try to shelter your kids from that. You try to to say who you are is enough, right? You raise your kids, who you are when you wake up, how whatever naturally is on your body that God gave you is enough because God gave it to you and you're wonderful. But then they get into these spaces because they're achievers. And not to say that there's not people calling black people who are not achieving, but there's a, there is a, a progression of, oh, you know, we need diversity or people pay attention to the black people who are achieving, right? Because some, they, you know, that, that's who they want to represent, right? So you get into these spaces where by proxy, you have, you, you're getting the same narrative, right? I have to overachieve. So even though on a baseline, my daughters will be getting A's anyway, right? Now they, they're in this space and they feel an extra pressure to maintain an A, right? And keep it there. And, and then there's that pressure of do it for the culture, right? Be, represent mm-hmm. our culture because with your success, you're showing everyone that we are able, right? And letting them know that we are able to do this. So. Did they experience that? Yes, they did. Did I experience that? Yes, I did. And that's the dichotomy that I was saying growing up. It's like, you know, when I realized the aspects of being the one, I had like this three-part split of, was it my spiritual discernment that I feel like is a gift? Mm-hmm. Was it my oneness that, you know, my my negative um, voice in there talking to me? Or was it that cultural expectation that I was riding and trying to rise to, right? Or, or abolish, right? The bias that I wasn't enough when I was in a, in those white spaces. So that was like a trifecta. And I'm still unpacking that, you know, trying to figure it out and see it. But to your point, it all, the, the, the positive side to it is that achievement at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. As a one, I achieved in my culture, you know, with my family, I made them proud. And despite um, Dot, that, which is, that's what I name her, Dot in my head, I still achieved everything. So that's why when Suzanne said, whether Dot was there or not, you still would have achieved it. That really, that really resonates with me because 
that means me being me, mm-hmm. not, uh, bias aside, that I had to yep. show up for the culture, dot aside, but me being me, my God created, who God created, who my mother nurtured very well, my success and how I showed up is just all me because I am enough. Was it measurably better for your daughters? Well, I would say now in this time, there's, there's definitely more, you know, I can only speak from my experience. It's more, it's better than for them a little bit because I have the awareness. Like, you know, my mom, with my mother in the community, they knew of the bias, right? So they prepared me. My mother was preparing me for the bias. Me being in the spaces, the only black person in the spaces, in my experiences that I had, I know what to expect. So yeah. when they were in those spaces, I I was able to say to them, not that my mother wasn't able to prepare me, but being that I was in it so much, sure. I knew how to fortify them. But there's just something, no matter how much you you prepare someone, that experience is it's a trying experience where mm-hmm. you're in a room with people who just, you walk through the door and they don't know you and that you know that they always, they may not think that you're enough. Just you being there without even seeing your ability. That, that's a hard, that's a hard burden to bear. It's just like, even if a, a, a black boy gets pulled over by the cops, he may know everything to do, but there's still some nervousness there. You know, it's yeah. still gonna be nervous. Mm-hmm. You just referenced Suzanne saying to you, you know, you would have accomplished, you would have achieved these things without Dot. Like Dot is not the mm-hmm. reason why, why you mm-hmm. did. Do you, in this moment, like I said, she just said it. Do you believe her? Like, do you embrace that? Like, oh, that that's true. Because, and I ask this because mm-hmm. I've heard Suzanne say that to once before, and then them not be able not be able to own that themselves. And so then my follow up question would yeah. be. What would you say to those people? If you if you can't own that for yourself, what would you say to another Enneagram one who's like, no, I I would have had to have Dot to to get these things done. I wouldn't be where I am today without Dot. Oh, okay. No, I, I totally received that because I, w- I was believing it for myself. But she said it so, like, on point. It is definitely on point. But I, I believe it to be true, and I could definitely receive it because and and I just reverted back to unapologetically being a Christian. Like my first thought is God. Like God made me, right? He tells me to have faith and ability. Um, wonderfully made. I am enough. All of that comes from God and then my mother, right? Like, you know, God told me first. I heard that God and my mother told me all my life. So Don is just a negative person and like a critique. Like I thought it was a critique propelling me. I did. Like, you need to do better. You should do this. And I thought it was thinking, right? And and maybe because this is where my culture might, you know, is is affording me this because that made me want to be better. It was entwined with that. I'm in this white space and I have to be better, right? But I didn't believe them. This, if that, I always knew that that was their bias, right? Like, that's the bias. That's not me. I just felt like I had, I needed to prove that, you know, I was just in this exhausting space where I have to prove it to other people, but that doesn't mean that I believe that negativity for myself. So I always thought that Dot was that 
helping me like, you know, discernment. No, see, this is where you could be better tomorrow, right? This is where you should do this better. Um, so it was almost like I, I can identify people thinking that it coached you, like it was coaching you. But when it was like, no, it's not your friend. And it's just this negative, annoying person trying to defeat you. Then I lean on my faith, right? Because I was def- I've been defeating people who thought bad about me all my life, right? I've been proving them wrong. That's what I've been doing. I thought that was helping me do that. But when you said no, the, um, you know, and I heard this in other podcasts that um, your then critic is not your friend. It's going to be the critic. It's, it's exactly who it is. It's a critic. Then I'm then it, it snapped for me. Oh, you're you're just in. You're in the, um, what do you call them, the bleachers, right? You're just yeah. in the no crowd, the naysayers. So I just put you in the naysayer crowd and, and say, I did this on my own. So humbly, it's almost like validation, right? Mm-hmm. That I did this for myself because you don't believe, everybody knows you don't believe the critics and you definitely don't believe people who don't know you. And if the, if the critic is not your friend, then they don't know you, right? So, right, right. Yeah. Um, when you walk into the Micah Center, I will be so glad to see you because of this conversation, because of who you and your friends were for me in Lancaster, because of the, the lovely exchanges of banter and affection we had for each other during that whole teaching time. All of it. One of the things that we keep trying to work toward, and we're uh, we're succeeding more, but not enough and not fast enough for us, is having more people of color in our events and at the Micah Center and in cohorts. Mm-hmm. All right, now I'm going to leave all that right there. I'm going to talk over here mm-hmm. for a minute, and then I'm going to come back. Over mm-hmm. here, one of the things I've learned is that as denominational churches start to dwindle in size, and in the Methodist church, you're appointed by the bishop. So Joe has served more than one church. And uh, they found out that he could uh, energize and save dying churches. So we did four of those. But one of the things that happens in those churches that are dwindling is if a young couple comes with children, they jump them. It's like, Oh my gosh, we're so <laughs> glad you're here. And are you coming back next week? And let me take you to Sunday school. And let me show you all the things and we, all, all the things. So I'm talking about that kind of energy that can be misunderstood mm-hmm. because over here, when you walk in the room, I will not, I will not greet you like I greet everybody because I don't have any history with some of the people who are coming except for mm-hmm. one 30 minute interview. It would break my heart if you felt like I was hugging you and embracing you and so excited that you were there for any reason than other than who you are. And if you felt like you were the young couple with kids coming in (laughs) and we just want people of color so bad and we're so glad you're here as a black woman, that's not it for me. I want you as a human being because of the relationship that I've started to build with you. And I will greet you in that way. But I sure didn't wouldn't want that to be misinterpreted. No. And I want to say, I really, I really deeply appreciate you even acknowledging that. And that's why I love you both so much. Like, and I love this ministry so much because 
I I I think I even said this before in my um application. I was listening to you on on <laughs> your podcast, and um you know I I listened to it pretty consistently, and I just happened to be listening to the one and with Joe right after George Floyd. He he just said, "Oh, I just want to say this," and you expressed your unawareness that you you know you you were like very reflective about why do not I not reach out to people of color to be guests on the show? I really need to think about that. And and to me, it was such a thoughtful way of admitting it. You know, it was so transparent. Like, wow, I I really didn't do this before, and I really don't know why. And I'm going to tell you that touched me so much. And it was just a testament before you even knew me, right? That you were looking in that direction. And that made me lean in to your practice of spreading the Enneagram even more. Because, you know, you're not the only platform that talks about the Enneagram, but it's the only platform that rings true to me and aligns with me and my spirituality as much in my community, you know, like my sense of knowing people and relationships, I would say. And just the curiosity that I, the the curious energy that I get from you all, I know, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this very bluntly. I know that you're not tokenizing me for the Enneagram. I know that for sure because of the interactions that I had there. What, when you, when you saw me with my group of friends and even your interactions with me, it, it rung to me. I received it in, and you'll understand this on a on a faith based way. It, it felt like Christian hospitality. How when you walk into a church and you want to make someone someone comes for the first first time, and you know the usher comes in and the usher gives you that hospitality like welcome. And I felt when I left, come back and see us again, because we're open to all, right? And so that's the that's the vibe I got, and that's why I'm here. You know, even when um, with the email and Joe said, there's two other people right there. It was confirmation. There's two other people. I and we're just having, you know, people on the, on the podcast and I want to know. And it lets me know that I'm not the only one that you're seeking out. Right. You're seeking out everyone because you're open arms. You're, you're welcoming all because the goal is to get the Enneagram out there to everyone to have everybody know the Enneagram. And I feel like you send that message in a very poignant way and I receive it in that way. So I don't I don't think that you're trying to put me as a poster child and I will be the diversity queen for you. But <laughs> I am happy that in that, because I'm gonna now I'm gonna get nuanced, in that people do shy away, right? And sometimes I've been in situations where I'm not afforded that kind of connection and friendship because people are scared of being perceived that way. So then they act the opposite way. And it's just like, and it looks like, it looks like standoffish when really you're trying to, you're scared of being perceived as um, tokenizing me and not just being inclusive, right? Where you're not just inviting me to the, to the party you're asking me to dance right yeah. so I recognize that and I appreciate that 
Great. So when I jump mm. your bones at the door, you'll be ready. No, I, I will be all the way ready. I, and I will, I will receive it in open arms and everything. I, I'll I be hugging because... you. I'm so excited that you're in this cohort because I, I, we had such a good time together in Lancaster, no, PA. We did. We did. We had a great time. We really did. And listen, I love the Enneagram so much. I don't, uh, I'm nowhere near of being a student in it. Uh, so that's because obviously that's why I want to be in, in the cohort. I want to learn all about it and all I can about it. Right. Well, wish you're going to do our best to offer it to you. The final question for today, and that is so that mm -hmm. we can re-listen to it later and update uh, throughout the year. And that is kind of what, what are your expectations for the cohort for the year? What mm -hmm. are anything that you're hoping to, hoping will happen, hoping to achieve anything along those lines? I definitely, like I said, I most obviously want to learn more about the Enneagram, where I, I guess, um, to feel confident in speaking on it and teaching other people about it. Um, you know, I know this cohort is not about being certified in anything, but I think that I will learn enough where I could, you know, if I wanted to speak to a group of people and let them know about it and to to pique their interest to know more about it or even like a group of even at work or in, in my life coaching certification and I'm gonna be honest with you I'm going for my PhD in psychology right now and I somehow I wanted to incorporate the Enneagram in it and it didn't quite work out because there's not a lot of research out there for it but I want to even like somehow break that's the thing we're open, that it's not research-based and get the, you know, psychologists and everybody else to know about it more. So may not come into fruition because you know how evidence-based is very strong in that realm, but just really getting, uh, I'm committed to other people knowing about the Enneagram. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for your time today. I know we went a little bit longer maybe than we thought, but what are you going to do? Um, no, it felt like five minutes. All right, awesome. And mom, she still has to drive home. She's she's still stuck at NYU. So, so thank no, you. No, thank no you so worries. Much. No worries. Well, I I enjoyed this time so much. This is my first podcast. I've never been on a podcast before. Oh, there we wow. go. Mm -hmm. We can yeah. always say, yeah. When she's famous, we can say, yep. We were <laughs>